The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I'm joined today by Erin Svoboda. She is the Associate Principal Clarinet of Utah Symphony. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. It's great to have you here. That's nice to be here. Yeah, well, let's let's talk a little bit about you and how you came to be a member of this orchestra. And I think it's worth mentioning that you were sort of meant to be a member of an orchestra from a very early age. Your dad is a longtime uh, member of the BSO Boston Symphony's bassoon section. So I, you grew up in an orchestra family, I'm sure, and and you've sort of become a legacy, as they say, in college. So was there ever any doubt that you were going to follow this path? Yeah, there was a, a certain point in high school where I was becoming serious and, yeah. you know, thinking about college and thinking about what my options were. Mm-hmm. Should I pursue music? Should I pursue a double degree? Um, or should I go into something completely different? Actually, it was somebody who was trying to convince me to go another direction so that I could... Um, so I could graduate and, and make money, sure. basically. Yeah. That, is, that is always the argument, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So this person was saying to me, oh, you could graduate, you could make so much money, and then you could play in a, in a community orchestra. Wouldn't that be great? And that was actually mm-hmm. the one thing that really <laughs> did it for me because I didn't want to do music if I wasn't going to do it 100%. You wanted to be at that professional level. I wanted to yeah. play my best. Yeah. I didn't want to... Yeah be doing another thing for my career and then to sit down at the clarinet and, and know that it wasn't my best. Right, so right. I, well, I get to hear you play at your best a lot and I can say that it's, that it's quite great. But I'm curious, you mentioned that you sort of opened a door for me I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through it. What would those other areas have been? What were those other interests you had in college if you did a double major or went in a different direction? What, what else besides music was there in your life at the time? Um, well, I mean, I'm... I might have gone into some sort of medical field. Uh-huh, I really uh-huh. do enjoy now reading articles about, uh-huh. you know, science, about how the body works, about, um, you know, just, you know, drug tests sure, or, sure. or, you yeah. know, what, what is going on in the, the inner workings of the body. I think, you know, that could have been a, an option for me, which you know, I probably would have made some money. Right, right. <laughs> well, how did you end up playing the clarinet? I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of bassoon playing in your house. How come you didn't just do what dad was doing? Well, first of all, I mean, I started piano when I was five. Uh-huh. Uh, when you're that small, you can't play the clarinet. The clarinet's right. too big. You, I mean, you know, you need to have uh, well-developed lungs. I mean, that's sure. just, you can't start clarinet yeah. at age five. So I started sure. the piano. And then um, when I was nine, that's when the school music program began at my school. And um, bassoon also isn't really given to nine-year-olds. It's It's, true. It's a a big instrument. It requires a certain size of of hands to to even reach the holes. Sure, sure. Um, And definitely I wasn't that size when I was nine. And even now my hands are a bit small to Mm -hmm. play Mm -hmm. the bassoon. Um, But even with that... it wasn't really ever a, a thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel that the bassoon is is my voice. It's sure. a beautiful instrument. But sure. when I play the clarinet, that does feel like an extension of myself in yeah. a way. Bassoon, um, even bass clarinet, when I play bass clarinet, um, 
which is not, it's not what I do every day. That's, I, I do the, the higher ranges of clarinet, um, right. not the, the lower ones on an everyday basis. Uh, but even when I do play bass clarinet, I, I'm also, like, I'm very confused about why that it, sound is coming out of me. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. It you sounds know? like you're doing an impression, maybe, of somebody <laughs> yeah, else. So, yeah, so, um, you know, bassoon, definitely, I, I don't feel like it's, my particular voice as yeah. much as clarinet is. Yeah. And I'm sure from my parents' perspective, bassoon is a much more expensive instrument. That is a very good point. <laughs> that's, that's, not a, that's not a point worth glossing over because a lot of parents do have to make that decision. You know, how much are you going to invest in your young musician's life because you don't know how serious they're going to take it. You don't know how long it's going to last. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of parents probably have to wrestle with that when their kid comes home and says, Everybody's playing the clarinet. I want to play the bassoon or the French horn or something like right. that. It is a consideration. You mentioned different um, different types of clarinets and how that impacts your job. And I, I do want to come back to that, so please don't let me forget. But I do want to talk just a little bit more about your dad than I promise I'll drop it. Um, I know he's, I'm sure he's very proud of you because you're a member of the Utah Symphony. You've, you've got a career in your own right now. Utah Symphony, Boston Symphony, wow, two very different cities, two very different kind of professional profiles. Do you guys talk about work? Do you talk about your jobs and compare them and get advice from him? Or, I mean, how does that go? You know, he's always basically let me do my own thing. And if I have a question, I can come to him. Sure. Um, but he was never one to micromanage my career, my practicing, sure. um, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but at a certain point, I did have a teacher who said, you know, you have this resource here. You need to take a lesson from your dad. And so I was very sheepish about it. What was that like? <laughs> it was really, really <laughs> awkward at I first. Um, yeah. So I went into my dad's studio at his house and yeah. said, Dad, I, can you listen to me play? <laughs> okay, I'm going to play... Beethoven six for you now, Dad. Yeah. Okay, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. we we just sat there, and it was it was definitely not, um, you know, the father daughter experience that we are used to having. But sure. it was extremely helpful. Well, he's um, probably been on a ton of clarinet committees in his oh, career, yeah. so he's heard a lot of clarinet auditions. Yeah, he sits next to clarinet players. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Um, you know, and even I don't know if there's a genetic component. You know, some teachers will say, you know, think blue, and, and a student will say, oh, I get it, and that that doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> That's not the, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So he, you know, maybe it's a, a genetic way that our brains work. I mean, he was able to say things he had to the right me words. that, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Like yeah. this, this is better. Um, and these days, I can ask him more about uh, the business side. Right. Um, right. You know, as as you know, I'm I'm now in the orchestra committee. Right. So um, aside from playing music, which is what I learned to do in school, mm -hmm. now I'm I'm kind of getting to know a little bit more about the business end, right. which is something that is is new and and interesting. You know, and I'm not giving secrets of the Utah Symphony away, but you know, whenever there's kind of something where I, I'm not quite sure what industry standard is, I might yeah. say, hey, you know, this is something that's talked about over here. Uh, what is it like in the Boston Symphony? And it's, yeah. it's, quite, it's quite interesting what their work rules actually are yeah. um, compared to ours. You'd think there'd be just one way to do this and that all the orchestras across the country and world would do it the same way, but that's not the case. No. Contracts are very different. They often have a lot of local culture in them that's hard to explain to people that aren't in the city or haven't been part of the institution. So I'm sure that's been a nice resource for you to be able to do some comparative study when right. contractual issues or just, just work-life issues come up. I guess one, one thing is I was, as a teenager, thinking about going into music, I was mm -hmm. able to have um, as 
good of a perspective as an 18-year-old can. Sure. Um, and now, looking back, I have a, a different perspective. Yeah. But, you know, from where I was then, I, I knew what the orchestra business entailed. I knew that you know, my dad was at the very top of what you can expect. So there are, there are different tiers of being a professional musician. You know, right. um, There are some orchestras where you can't live off the salary. There are orchestras where you can live very well off the salary mm-hmm. and you know, everywhere in between. So you know, I was able to, I, when I was 10, I went on a Japanese tour with the symphony and I got to, you know, be with them on all of their transportation and well, that you know, must have been great. Oh, it was such yeah. a great experience. Yeah. Um, uh, 14, I went on a European tour. I spent my summers backstage at Tanglewood. Um, you know, I didn't care about the music whatsoever. Sure. Um, I just want to play Game Boy with my friends. Sure. So, but it was, it yeah. kind of, yeah. it got in there somehow, yeah. oh, <laughs> which clearly. was, which was really great. Um, so once I was old enough to appreciate it, I had that background. I had certain things in my ears. Um, you know, once I started wanting to get more serious mm-hmm. into music, you know, my dad actually knew the difference between a budget teacher who might not have the best advice and people who actually were telling me uh, useful things. Because yeah. getting the right kind of advice, um, the right teaching when you're young and your brain is sticky, mm-hmm. that's so important. Yeah. I mean, if you have to spend your career... Um, fixing mistakes right. that were ingrained from a bad teacher. I mean, that's, it's probably not going to happen. You need to get all the good habits in right away uh, when you're young enough that it really sticks. That must have been a huge benefit, it, having a parent was, who understood that on a personal level. It was a huge benefit. And yeah. I remember one time in high school, there was you know a teacher figure told me to do something, and I, you know, my dad was like, oh, how was rehearsal? I was like, oh, yeah, so-and-so told me to do this, but I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. So he was able to go to his colleagues and say, hey, uh, she didn't want to do that. Yeah. And his colleagues were able to say, oh, absolutely, that was right. Or they could have said, Ab- no, that was wrong. She should yeah. absolutely do it. So, yeah. you know, stuff like that. It, yeah. you know, I mean, as a kid, you don't know the difference between good teaching and bad teaching. Yeah, it's um, true. And he, he was able to point me on the right path. He knew the value of good instrument, which makes such a big difference. And Absolutely. I think many parents might not actually know the difference. They'd say, this clarinet's $200, this clarinet's yeah. 2000 well, you know, yeah, why, no. why would I pay 2000 when I can pay 200 A good right. instrument, often the difference between a kid continuing or not. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of them quit because it's just too frustrating, and their right. instrument is to blame. It, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So he, he knew all of this. Um, so I, I definitely had a very good basis because... Yeah. You know, I mean, learning an instrument is expensive, too. Mm-hmm. That's something, mm-hmm. as a parent, you're just, money's flying out the door. Absolutely. And I think he knew that there was a value yeah. in that. I'm so thankful for, for all that. My lessons, youth orchestra, the instruments, all the, the stuff I was able to do when yeah. I was younger. I, mm-hmm. I knew I was going to go into music, but I did not actually realize at age 18, how hard that was going to be. Sure. Um, you know, I finished my schooling in 2008, yeah. which was a bad time. <laughs> That's too. for sure. Um, orchestras weren't doing great. Orchestras were not doing well. And yeah. I, um, I was going to school in New York at the time, mm-hmm. and I hadn't won an audition, mm-hmm. so I decided to stay in New York and freelance. Well, the jobs that were there, they might not be there anymore. The orchestras that might have performed pieces 
you know, bigger works that where they would hire subs, they were not doing bigger works. They were doing smaller works and only using their, their core people, you know, and so there was basically yeah. less work going around. And a lot more subs looking for a that less work. A lot more subs. Yeah. There's a lot of talented musicians out sure. there and there's not enough, you know, full-time orchestra positions yeah. to em employ them all, yeah. you know, and I guess there's a standard bell curve. You have very, very few people at the top, right. but you have a whole ton of you know, really fine musicians. So I did have a, a good several years, um, <laughs> more than several, mm -hmm. where I was, you know, basically living hand to mouth, taking yeah. whatever gig I could. I mean, some of them were, were really, really great. Some of them were not. Some of them were local. Some of them I had to travel very far. Yeah. Um, you know, didn't get paid benefits, didn't, you know, and then um, I'd also have to take auditions. And obviously, if I'm taking an audition, I can't be working, you know, th at that time. Auditions are very expensive. I can tell you, Aaron, I'm quite a bit older than you. But I can tell you that that freelance life, which I have also lived, is the same throughout history. It was the same before the recession, too. <laughs> it's, a it's a difficult way to make a okay. go as an adult. Very difficult. I want to talk to you a little bit about your job specifically. Um, you have kind of a specialty job mm -hmm. in that, like a lot of woodwind players in, in a professional setting, you have more than one instrument on your contract. You don't just play clarinet. You also play E-flat clarinet, which is sort of a specialty solo instrument. I'm curious, repertoire-wise, as an E-flat clarinetist, what are the works that you're most excited to see on upcoming seasons? What do you look forward to? What are the showpieces for your instrument? Uh, well, the last concert of this season is Rite of Spring, uh -huh. which is one of the very best E-flat clarinet parts. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. I've I've played it before, and I don't think I'll ever get tired of playing it. It's E-flat clarinet is... <laughs> I think it's really great because it will pierce through the orchestra. It's no like a question. piccolo in yeah. that way. I mean, you do not hide an E-flat clarinet. Mm -mm. So, you know, in the whole beginning of Rite of Spring, you know, it starts with the bassoon and then it, mm -hmm. you know, different instruments will add and, the, you know, get thicker and thicker and they're all doing different things. And then the E-flat comes in and you can hear it. Like everybody's playing and E-flat clarinet, I mean, to me, it's front and center, maybe. <laughs> it is. No, I can tell you, as a, I've played that piece. I've listened to it a million times. You cannot deny that the E-flat clarinet player has entered the building at that right. moment. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's just really fun to be able to have that kind of yeah. uh, power in the orchestra, which as yeah. a clarinet player, you know, sometimes, I mean, you are just part of the, the ensemble and mm -hmm. just the warm full, rich sound of the orchestra, you're part of that. Sure. But, I mean, E-flat clarinet, I don't think you can say it's warm and rich. I think it's truly <laughs> one of the solo instruments it of is, the orchestra. Yes. Like It's like English horn, like piccolo. They're, just, they're, they're used in a way that is often individual and, and meant to be, as you said, front and center. Any other pieces that excite you when you see them on the calendar besides Rite of Spring? Any other big E-flat things? I know that there's... There's often big E-flat solos in Shostakovich symphonies and things like that. I mean, but anything, oh, yeah. any personal favorites? Till. Yeah. Till is is great. Yeah. Um, little Bird told me we perhaps might be doing it. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a great one. That yeah. actually, if you know the story of Till, yeah. he's kind of a troublemaker and he gets in trouble and he's sentenced to death. And I'm a who? horn player, Aaron. I know the story of Till. <laughs> well, for the people <laughs> yeah, out there. That's true. Thank you. <laughs> um, so he's sentenced to die yes. and 
Can anybody guess yep. who gets to play Till's death? It's mm-hmm. the E flat clarinet. You are the you are the the spirit soaring off or something. <laughs> I'm not sure, but well, those are two great examples. And this is a fascinating conversation. I love to talk to people about the specifics of their job. And it's interesting you mentioned before orchestras are separated into tiers, as you talked about. You know, the Boston Symphony is at the very top. Utah Symphony is on a different level, still very high, obviously. But those tiers are only budget designations. They're only possibly designations of status and history. There's no tears for you. You approach your job exactly the same way as the principal of the Boston Symphony or the principal of the, of the, of the Berlin Philharmonic. No tears for musicians. There's o- those are only external things. So I don't want anyone to ever think that the work being done at the Utah Symphony is any different or less than the Boston Symphony or any place else. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to agree with me or not. Absolutely, I agree with Good. you. I mean, getting back to my, my audition experience, yeah. I mean, you have maybe five or so auditions a year mm-hmm. where you know people are they're, they're waiting oh so and so might retire oh the position's open yeah. oh we're going to go so you have a, a big pool yeah. of people i mean maybe 50 100 i mean it depends mm-hmm. on the audition but i mean a ton of highly highly qualified people yes. will show up to these auditions and only one person will win. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a clarinet opening in the Boston Symphony for, I mean, 10 years, mm-hmm. and there won't be another one for at least 10 years, I think. Right. So if the Boston Symphony decides to have an audition or, a, a, you know, another orchestra has an I mean, it's, it's not... It's the same people are showing up yeah. to every audition, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of when they call your name. Well, it's all these great players that maybe didn't get the Boston job. Wonderful players. Absolutely. They go someplace else right. and play in a different orchestra that, and make a, that place wonderful. <laughs> that's so, a better way to put what I just said. I yes. don't think it's better. I just think <laughs> we're agreeing with each other, which is great. So before I let you go, I have to ask the, the now famous Ghostlight podcast question, which is whether or not you've ever seen a ghost and if you do have any paranormal stories please give us the details yes well i haven't i i did not see this particular ghost but i have experienced something that i cannot explain okay um so this was at the marlboro music festival mm-hmm. so i was there about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and you know during the year it's a liberal arts college right. and it's in the middle of the woods in vermont right. so it's it's quite rustic mm-hmm. you know the buildings are, are barns and like the old farmhouse and sure. you know it's not a swanky college it's it's very rustic and yeah. you know that's part of its charm sure and there's legend the old family that used to live and work on the farm there was a, a girl named emily and she it was something like she wanted to marry somebody and her parents wouldn't allow it and and somewhere in there she hung herself oh okay um so everybody knows because every place of prestige has to have a ghost absolutely right? so that's the ghost story around around marlboro it's like oh emily emily's ghost so people do talk about it when they're there emily's, yeah. yeah oh yeah, yeah. I, knew, I, already, I knew about emily wow. you know <laughs> so um there's a music festival during the summer it's a chamber music festival sure, sure. and uh, there was one time I was you know, working on an audition list, mm-hmm. as was my life mm-hmm. at the time. So mm-hmm. I wanted to play my, my list for Anthony McGill, mm-hmm. who is now the principal clarinet at the New Yorkville. Yeah. And so we went into the, the one farmhouse, which is during the year it's used as administration offices and classrooms. Mm-hmm. So we went upstairs to one of the classrooms. I played some excerpts for him and, you know, 
gave me a lesson on my excerpt. Sure. And, um, meanwhile, a storm is is rolling in. Of course, so, as, as as they do <laughs> when ghosts are coming. <laughs> right. So you know, it was, it was a beautiful day beforehand, but you know, yeah. storm. It gets black and it's like yeah. rain and wind, and so we basically have to stop yeah. and marvel at the storm because it yeah. is it's loud. It's yeah. you know, so we're just like, whoa, look at the storm, and then. An eraser flies across the room. What? Yeah, like a big chalkboard eraser. It just Emily. flies across the room. Yeah, that's Emily. And we look at each other and we're just laughing. We're like, ha ha, it's Emily. And then we start, we, wait, what? How, how, did, yeah. how did that happen, really? Shouldn't one of us how? see if that door's locked? <laughs> I have no idea how an eraser would have flung itself across the room. It didn't fall. It flew yeah. across the room. I think nearly being hit by a ghost thrown eraser is a pretty close <laughs> paranormal story, and it's going to rank near the top here. Aaron Svoboda, thank you so much for being a guest on the Ghost Light Podcast. Oh, thank you. Guest conductor Jerry Herman brings glitz, glamour, and Broadway to a Bravanel Hall this weekend with hits from musical showstoppers Hello Dolly to Mame to Mac and Mabel to La Caja Fole that will get Dolly, audience members' toes hello. tapping. Dolly, it's so nice to have you back where you belong. Ah, you're looking swell. Dolly, we can Tickets sell. and information for this concert Dolly, are available at utahsymphony.org. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera's season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. 